So if you would stand with me, we're going to read Romans chapter 10, all of it, but we're, we're going to focus mostly on Romans chapter 10, 9 and following, but we'll read all of this, this section together. So it's Romans chapter 10, 1 to 21. It says this, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have zeal for God but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, this is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him uh, of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how, how, are they sent, how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all, all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed that he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I, have, I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. You could be seated. So it's been kind of hodgepodgey because of the course of events, but we were in Romans chapter 9 last I was here, and we talked a lot about, hey, there's seats right here for you. I know know them really well, or I wouldn't do this to them, but I know you're looking and... It's, you know, it's Baptist, they start in the back and they work their way forward. This is the way it goes. So uh, we were in Romans chapter 9, 1 to 18, and we talked a lot about this idea that there's a tension between God doing the choosing. He is electing, he is pursuing, he is choosing, and at the same time, this tension of free will. We said there's some provocative questions in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, one of them being, what of Israel? If they are following all of these laws and yet rejecting the Messiah, what, what of Israel? And Paul begins to really uh, uh, dig deep into that here in Romans chapter 
10, 1 to 21. He's answering questions like, do people have a free will to choose, to confess, and to believe? What about Israel? What about all of us? What about God doing the choosing? What is this doctrine of salvation? And what is this tension between the sovereignty of God and the free will of every man, woman, and child? And I'll summarize the beginning of Romans chapter 10. It's, he's, he's just saying Israel didn't get it. They, they had the law, they had the prophets, they had all of these things, and when it comes to the Messiah, their eyes are shut, their, their heart is hardened, they have rejected for a season, uh, and, and, and he will come back to that at the end of Romans chapter 10, is why I don't spend a lot of time up front on it. What I want you to see is that Paul is talking, he's writing to the church at Rome that's made up of Jewish background believers and Roman or Gentile background believers. So you have two very kinds of different kinds of believers sitting in that congregation. Those that followed every letter of the law and those who were worshiping Zeus two hours ago and have decided they wanted to confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. And the big question is like, how, how is it that they can follow all of the law and not be saved, but this guy that was worshiping Zeus two hours ago is now confessing Jesus as Lord and has been saved? How does all that work? And how is God's, God fair in that? Where is his justice? And, and this is what Paul is digging into. He makes his case from the Hebrew Bible. So, for instance, just the first eight verses of Romans chapter 10 come from Leviticus 18.5, Deuteronomy 27.6, Deuteronomy 30.12-14, Deuteronomy 9, Deuteronomy 8, Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, and that's just the intro to chapter 10. This whole thing is, is Hebrew Bible that he's translating for the Roman context, for this church to understand. It really translates well to us. So there are some simple questions that he answers that we're going to answer today. The first one is this. What is required for salvation? What is required for salvation? Go with me back to Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. He says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. You will be saved. And so the question, what is required for salvation? We get two things. First of all, there must be confession. There must be confession. And the confession is, 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 is very focused and very clear. It's not a confession that I've kept all the commandments. It's not a confession that Jesus is a good prophet or a good teacher the confession is Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, this confession is very important because what that's saying is Jesus himself is God. Jesus himself is God. Now, you might remember of the Hebrew people, their code, their creed is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So, This is a big statement because if I'm saying Jesus is Lord, I'm saying he is the Father, he is the Son, he is the Holy Spirit, he's one in three and they're all the same. This is is who God is and Jesus is God in the flesh, crucified, raised to walk in new life, ascended to the right hand of the Father, coming back again. So that is the first thing that's required for salvation. 
confession. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. So every, this is Jesus taught teaching. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So this confession of Jesus as Lord, the result is he's confessing you as his own to the Father. I mean, it's just, uh, it's a beautiful full circle picture. I saw an interview last week with with Bill Maher. Do you you guys know who Bill Maher is? And so Bill Maher was just simply talking to uh, another individual who had recently become a Christian. And uh, they were having an apologetic conversation, truthfully. And uh, Bill Maher was not open at all. And my heart just broke for him. Because I thought, like, this confession that Jesus is Lord, it changes everything. It is, it, is, it is the beginning of your salvation. When you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, confession is required. But not only confession, it says uh, belief. If you go back to Romans chapter 9, because if you confess with your mouth that, I mean, chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that's the emotive thinking part of the human Uh, the human, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So there is a confession that Jesus is Lord, but there has to be an authentic belief that he was raised from the dead, that he was resurrected. Why does that even matter? Because if he wasn't resurrected, he was just a good teacher. If he wasn't resurrected, in fact, I'd go, go so far as to say he was a liar, because he prophesied of himself and said he would raise on the third day. If he wasn't resurrected, all of the prophets are liars. If he wasn't resurrected, then there's no chance for you and me who are are going to die one day to be resurrected as the rest of the New Testament says will happen to those of us in Christ. There's just no chance. So the resurrection is, is, is paramount. You have to believe Paul is saying the resurrection, all of the, 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 the Hebrew Bible points to it as a, as a culmination, the, the greatest milestone there is. Anybody can be crucified, but not everybody can say before they're crucified, don't worry, I'm going to come out of the tomb on the third day and then do it. And Jesus did it. And so you have to believe that. You have to believe the 500 eyewitnesses. You have to believe the gospel accounts. You have to believe this. Um, to be a Christian. If you don't believe, the, if you say, I'm a Christian, I, I'm not sure I believe the resurrection, you're not a Christian. You're just not. You might think Jesus is a good dude, but you're not a Christian because Christians, Bible-believing Christians, the, 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 those that are saved, they confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. They believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. This is paramount. Peter preached in Acts chapter 2, 23 to 24, he, he said, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Here, God is doing the choosing. Do you hear that language? Definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This is God predestining this to happen. It's not Pilate's choice. It's not the high priest's choice. It's God doing this. The definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it because how could death hold God in the grave? Couldn't, couldn't. 
And so this, these two things, very simple. I think this, is, this, this verse I've probably quoted for 13 years in every sermon, almost every sermon. Romans 10, 9 and 10. You're probably, if you've been here 13 years, you're like, where's that coming? Because it's coming. It's because it's the simple gospel. It's the simple good news that this is, this is what we have to do. This is our part to confess and to believe, and then we will be uh, saved. 1 Peter chapter 1, 20 to 21 It says, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. This this predestined act of resurrection, the resurrection specifically of Jesus Christ, the Lord, is paramount and center to our faith. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, then the promise that comes with that is you will be saved. Now, what does that even mean, saved? Saved. Well, it means a couple of things. It's more than just like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to heaven when I die. Here's what it is, doctrinally. Saved means my sins are atoned for. It's like I'm a sinner. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Somebody has to pay the price for, for my sins in order for there to be holy and righteous justice. And Jesus did that for me on the cross and for everyone who would confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. You're, you're atoned for, covered. Your sins are covered. I mean, ju- just if it's not a happy thought, but think of your sins. Think of all the things you never wanted anyone to know. Jesus knows all of those and he has paid the price. He has atoned, he has covered those so that by grace you have been saved. He's atoned, but it's not just atonement. It is atonement, but it, it's not just atonement and the forgiveness of our sins. We have been redeemed. Our sins tell us, uh, they, they, they result in, in, in uh, they are a result of our family line. And the scripture teaches us that in our sin, we are at war with God, that he has righteous wrath against us that we are in the kingdom of darkness as opposed to being in the kingdom of light. To be redeemed, like if I'm a slave to my sin, a slave to the kingdom of darkness, to be redeemed means in, the, in that context, especially the Roman context, I wish we had time to just unpack slavery in the Roman context, but it just means that someone came along and said, for this slave, I'm gonna buy him or her back and I'm gonna bring her or him into my household. They'll never be a part of that household again because I have paid the price, right? This is what Jesus did for us on the cross. So when we confess him as Lord, we believe that he was resurrected from the dead. He sealed the deal with all of that. He paid the price and he transferred me from the kingdom of darkness because of my sin to the kingdom of light, Colossians says. And, and it, it shows me I've got a different name, a new identity, a different father, not the father of lies, but the father of eternity, the father of creation, the father, the son, the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a new family. And so he has redeemed us. That means to purchase us, to, bought us back, to buy us back. Paul would tell the church at Corinth, you've been bought with a price. So we're atoned for, we're redeemed, bought, back, repurchased, so to speak. But then we've been made righteous, and this one always blows my mind, 
This salvation means that we've been made righteous. This atonement and this redemption, this grace that's been poured out on us, to, to be made righteous, uh, if you stood before God right now on your own, you would not be able to stand because he's holy. He is perfectly righteous and perfectly just. And so uh, I have no chance standing before a holy God on my own, but to know simply that I have been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. This is the language of the Bible, that that salvation, what he did is he justified me before God and he, he put like a robe around me that is clothes or a robe of righteousness so that I stand before God in the righteousness of Jesus. And Jesus is Lord. And so therefore, I'm right before God. In this moment, I'm right before God, not because of the, the, the work of my hands, not because I, I kept 613 commands, but because of what Jesus did when he saved me. You know, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension, his return, all of it, 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 it made me righteous. And then I'm saved to an eternity that is unreal, unimaginable, according to the scripture, where we're walking with God, uh, with no shame or no guilt anymore, that this heaven that's described in Scripture is, is unimaginable to us, and it, it, is, it is everlasting life where sin is outside the camp. So there's no impact of sin in this place. That is my destination. So I've been justified. I've been, I've been being sanctified, like walking out this thing, but I'm saved in it, and, and I, I will have glorification because of this new name, not because of anything that I did, not because of anything that you did, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, and that word saved encompasses atonement, redemption, justification, glorification, eternity, being made righteous, all of it, all of it. That's really good news, because I could not attain that on my own. It's really good news. So what is required for salvation, confession, and belief? Second question Paul kind of answers here is who can be saved? If you go to Romans chapter 10, 11 to 13, just look at what it says. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing the riches on all who call upon him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved or will be saved. Who can be saved? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. That's who can be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. So it doesn't matter where you grew up. It, it's, it doesn't matter in that Roman church context. If you were, if you were worshiping uh, Aphrodite last year and you've come to Christ now, or uh, if you're Jewish and you've been walking the commandments all of your life and you've come to Christ, it doesn't matter where you've come from. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. And that is really good news because that means your, your neighbors who you think could never be saved, your coworkers who think could never be saved, people on the other side of the world that everybody wants to say, well, what about the people on the other side of the world? They can be saved too. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved, right? That, that's important for us to understand. And it, it's not a New Testament concept. It comes from the Hebrew Bible, Joel chapter 2, verse 32. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, 
There shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Now, do you hear the tension? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, and the ones who survived will be the ones whom the Lord calls. Wait a second. Which one is it? Is it me calling on the name of the Lord? Am I choosing to call the name of the Lord so I can be saved? Or is the Lord calling me? Which one is it? Who initiated this? Is it on me? Is it on him? Um, Yes. Yes. Now, Greek thinkers like you and me, we don't like uh, tensions like that. It's either God elects and people don't have a choice and they, they come to him, or people have a free will and they choose God and they come to him. The Bible teaches that God elects, he chooses, he calls, he pursues, and people confess, they believe, and they call on the name of the Lord. Here's my personal belief. Take it for what it's worth. I don't think I'm good enough to have thought to myself, I need to be saved from my sins, and so I'm gonna call on the name of the Lord to be saved. I think the Lord had to be doing something by the power of his Holy Spirit in my heart in order for me to even have the capacity to think I should be saved from my sins. That's what I think, right? But you can think whatever you want. All I'm saying is the Bible teaches, the Bible teaches that if you confess, that's an action on your part, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It teaches that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And it teaches that God predestined those who would be saved. I'm not God. I can't even sit on the toilet without falling off. (laughs) I'm just telling you what the scripture says. It's a tension. It's a tension. The Greek thinker doesn't like tension. We We want a bullet point. We want to fill in the blank. Hebrew thinkers are okay with tension. Because how could we possibly understand God? Do you think for a moment that you can understand the mind of God? It's gonna take your whole life to just understand the Bible. This is just the revelation of what he needed us to know. This is not the whole mind of God. You know, it's astounding. I love that it says in Christ, the same Lord is Lord of all. Uh, That means that he loves all kinds of people, Jew, Greek, slave, free. And the promise here, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. That's Romans 9.33, Isaiah 28.16, Psalm 118.22, Joel 2.26 and 27. It's all there, and it's all from the Hebrew Hebrew Bible bleeding into the uh, New Testament, fulfilled in Christ. Here's the last question. Uh, if God is sovereign, do we have the responsibility to tell other people about Jesus? If God is choosing, if he's pursuing, if he's, if he's, if he's like in my life, making himself known by the power of his Holy Spirit, do, 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 we, do we have the responsibility to tell? In fact, some people, some Christians who go hard line uh, this way and say God does all the choosing and there's not really any free will. He's totally irresistible. Some people who think this will take a leap and say, and because of that, I don't really need to share my faith. And this is false. 
inaccurate. The reason for that is there are many reasons for this, uh, why we need to share our faith. But I want to follow Paul's argument here just to stick with the text, verse 14 of chapter 10. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? So there, there must be people out there, Paul's saying, who who can't call on him because they haven't yet believed. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not ever heard? How are they gonna believe if they don't hear about him? And how are they to hear without someone preaching, proclaiming, sharing this gospel? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Um, Paul's argument is simple. They're, they're not going to believe if they don't hear, and if no one's proclaiming this gospel, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. If no one's proclaiming that, nobody's going to hear that, and people aren't going to believe. And so preachers need to be sent. Now, our problem is we think of a preacher like a preacher up here on Sunday morning, but every follower of Jesus proclaims, preaches the gospel in their uh, areas of influence, in the public square, in their relationships, all day, every day. That's the assumption of the kingdom. That's the plan. It's not about, let's get them to the church house so the preacher can preach the good news, but it's actually more effective if the church goes and proclaims this good news of the gospel in everyday life with everyday people who really need to hear. If God is sovereign, do we have a responsibility to tell others? Yes. Yes, we do have a responsibility. It's a missional responsibility is the way God works. Jesus said this. He was ascending to heaven after his resurrection. Little powwow with his disciples on Mount of Olives before he leaves. He says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. It's this idea that you have to go, you have to take this gospel, and you have to proclaim it so that people will hear it and become followers. That's the simple, simple idea. You're going to do it. It's going to go from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth, which is where you live these days, uttermost parts of the earth. Um, we have a missional responsibility. Um, in, in my way of thinking, uh, we, have, we have a, a human responsibility. A human responsibility. What do I mean by that? That means if, if, if the house across the street, <clears throat> if the people are asleep at night and I come home late and I see that their house is on fire, do, do I have any responsibility there? Yeah, I should call 911. Yeah, I should try to wake them up. I should try to get them out if I can. I should do everything I can to make sure that those people get out of that fire. Everything. And that is a, that is a feeble illustration in comparison to what it is to know the gospel of Jesus Christ the good news, to to own it, to believe, to confess, to walk in the freedom of it and know your eternity. And then your next door neighbor or your friend across the street or your family member or your coworker or whatever, they have no idea. And we just are like, I don't want to share that because it might be offensive. 
I don't want to share that because I, I don't want to like break the relationship. I don't want to share that because there's rules here that keeps me from sharing that. <clears throat> I get the HR thing. I don't have that here. <laughs> it's easy for me. I get the HR thing. I'm just saying you can build relationships and you can share the gospel. And you can abide by HR rules at the same time. But the question is, man, this, this is where it comes, comes down to for me is like, like we, we think we're doing a good job because our church grows by 10%, but, but, the, but the area that we live in, the 4B area, is like 600,000 people. More than half of them say that they are religious nuns. They don't, nuns, not N-U-N, but N-O-N-E-S, that's like 50, 300,000 nuns out there. It's not like that. <clears throat> but on the last census, they, they selected none as their religious affiliation. And we say, oh, if we grow our church by 10%, that'll be great. Look, our church is doing great and the room is full. It's not. We, we're, we're about saturating the Forby area with the gospel of Jesus Christ, which takes every one of us living on a street, living in a family, working in a place, Every day, carrying this gospel message, we have this responsibility to share it. Uh, Paul goes on to say, people who bring the good news have beautiful, beautiful feet, which is weird to us. We're like, that's strange. It comes from Isaiah 52, verse 7. It's just simply saying, like, someone who brings you the best news of your life, whether they came across the living room or across the street, or into your life through your workplace or whatever, whatever avenue that that, that comes to you. They're, they're carrying the best message possible. They have these, these beautiful feet. Paul, Paul would say when he's praying on the, the, the armor of God, he would say that you need to pray on the gospel shoes that, that are full of gospel readiness, like your feet take you places to share the gospel. This is the point. We do have a responsibility. Galatians chapter three, verse two, Paul asked the church of Galatia, let, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? It wasn't by works of the law. It was by hearing with faith. And who, who, how, do you, how do you hear? Someone tells you. Someone tells you. I have people in my life that planted lots of seeds. My parents uh, a Sunday school teacher or two, a youth pastor, uh, a teacher, a coach, planted all kinds of seeds in my life about this. They had straight up conversations with me along the way, and I'm very grateful, very grateful. We should do the same. We have that responsibility um, to, to carry the good news. So what about the Jewish people? Actually, this is the last question. Don't they get it? Haven't they heard? I mean, it came from Jerusalem. To Judea, this gospel, the, that, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, started in Jerusalem, where Jesus was crucified and resurrected, went out from there to Judea and Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. So why don't they get it? Why don't the Jewish people get it? A, a remnant, a, a, a bit of, some of them do, but most don't. And this is the issue that Paul is, is bringing up. And he just quotes Moses and Isaiah. He says, but in Romans chapter 10, verse 19, but I asked, did Israel not understand? 
First, Moses said, and he cites from Deuteronomy 32, 21, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. So you're going to look at everybody else who didn't have access to all this that are coming to Jesus and finding freedom and salvation, and that's going to make you jealous. It's going to make you angry. He says uh, from Isaiah, Romans chapter 10, verse 20, then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. So here you have Jewish people in that context, Jewish people praying every day, asking for the Messiah to come, for the blessing of the Lord, and yet they reject the Messiah. And there's other people like you and me who weren't even seeking, and they found him. How is that fair? And Paul is just pointing it out. They heard. Paul is saying in verse 10, 21, but of Israel, he says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient, contrary people. It's Isaiah 65, 2, that he's quoting here in Romans chapter 10. Paul is just saying like, look, they heard, they saw, and in large part, they're disobedient and rejecting the Messiah. And we're gonna find out next week why they are why they are, and it's very interesting. But what I want you to see in this moment is that the only way, whether you you follow all the commandments or whether you were worshiping pagan gods a week ago, the only way, the only way to be saved is to call on the name of the Lord Jesus. That's it. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Doesn't matter if you're Jew, Greek, slave, free, American, whatever. So here's the call. It's quite possible that you grew up in a context and a culture where you were confused about salvation or you didn't understand what what it was and now you simply understand the gospel. And and your response to the gospel, the good news that Jesus died on a cross to save you from your sins, atonement, redemption, all those things we talked about, your response to the gospel is to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you'll be saved. That is the proper first response. That is the response to the gospel. And you can do that right in your chair. You don't have to make a, a, a fill out a card or make a walk. You can pray and just confess, just say, you are Lord. I believe that you were raised from the dead. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness. That's the, the first response. And that, that's the beginning of everyone's journey as a disciple of Jesus. You just have to humble yourself and say, I need him in the way that he has shown up. But only that way. The other response for those of you that are walking with Jesus for a long time is, is maybe you need to raise what we call sometimes your one awareness filter. Like who's that one person in your life whose house is burning down and you have, you have, you have the, the rescue. You have the gospel. Like who are those people? Really think about them. They're real people with real eternities and real identities, either in the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light, everyone needs a chance to hear the gospel. You can't control how they respond to it, but everyone needs the chance to hear the good news that Jesus died on a cross to save them from their sins. He was resurrected. He's coming back again. He can uh, restore their life. 
to abundance and give them eternity beyond unimaginable. Everyone needs the chance to hear that. doesn't matter who they are. And so maybe you just need to ask God to reveal those people in your life and then take a step toward conversation, a real step toward conversation about these things because they matter significantly more than the Super Bowl or... You know, I'm, I'm deathly afraid the only thing you're going to remember about this sermon is that Pastor Brian fell off the toilet. It's way more important, way more important than any of that is that your friend who's probably just enjoying brunch hears. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I ask the Lord to speak to you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the clarity of the gospel, the good news. Thank you for the work that you've done in many of our lives that um, we couldn't accomplish on our own and maybe we wouldn't have even known uh, apart from the, the work of your spirit. Father, I pray for people in our lives that are far from you, that don't know you, that don't know this good news. We just assume that everybody's heard it because we live in Texas, and the reality is many, many people haven't. And so, God, would you just give us uh, favor with people and, and compassion enough, courage enough to share the good news from Romans 10, 9 and 10? Use our own stories of our own life. Lord, help us to be authentic not fake. I just, just use our story and your gospel in the lives of people. Father, for people here today that have heard this and think to themselves, I want to be saved, would you give them faith enough to confess with their mouth that you are Lord and believe in their heart that you rose again from the, the, the grave? Would you save their souls this morning? I pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.